you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 5, and that's where we will begin in a few moments. Uh, But I know uh, what you want to know first, right? Uh, So people have been calling, people have been texting, people have uh, inquired. Some people just come stand close to me hoping that uh, I uh, I would share a number with them. And I want you to know, as anxious as you are to know, I am anxious to share. Uh, I believe that God, uh, as, as he has already been glorified in our service, will continue to be as uh, we share this good news with you. And so I've invited six families in our church to assist us with this. And so I want to ask those families if they would come and stand here at the front and uh, they've got some cards. Try not to look at them as they bring them up and we will show them to you one or two at a time. Uh, why, why are we doing this? Why are we making such a big deal about this? Uh, we've uh, combined our worship service. We've scrambled a few things around. Uh, why is it that, uh, that we're doing what we are doing today? Uh, well, there are, uh, there are a few reasons why. Number one, God has commanded us to give thanks. Uh, The Bible says that in everything, we are to give thanks unto the Lord. And so we're simply being obedient to the command of God today. Uh, The second reason why we're doing this today is because Jesus says that thanksgiving is not thanksgiving unless it is expressed. You can't just be thankful in your heart. You've got to put words to it. You've got to, you've got to be excited about it. And so, so we're doing this so that together as a faith family, we can express our thanksgiving to God. The third reason uh, that we're doing this today is simply because God is due the honor. When God does something, when God shows up and shows out, so to speak, uh, we, ought to, we ought to pause and give thanks to him. We ought to honor him for the blessings that he gives to us. And so here we go. We want to reveal the number. Uh, we're going to start with the, with the ones. Uh, drum roll, please. So I've got good news. We have collected at least $5. (laughs) At least $5. All right. Drum roll. All right. $65. And we're working up the ladder. (laughs) Drum roll, please. Seven. There we go. I've always wanted to say, drum roll, please. So I've set this service up so I can say it as many times as possible. (laughs) This is the last time you'll hear this drummer, so enjoy. (laughs) Drum roll, please. All right, we're getting one digit closer. Drum roll, if you will. And then for the number everybody's waiting on, right? All right, give us a drum roll. Let's uh, reveal the final number. Now, 
I don't want them to, I don't, I don't want them to step away yet. Let me, let me share a couple of things with you. First of all, uh, God certainly has showed his kindness and been good to us. Uh, half a million dollars is more than our church has raised in any single campaign in over a decade since we built the children's building. $500,000 will make a difference in our facilities, will make a difference in our ability to put our best foot forward to reach this community for Christ. But listen, church, sometimes when you pray, God does exceedingly abundantly above anything that you could ever ask or imagine. I want you to remain standing. There's uh, a couple more things I want to share with you, and then I want us to do something together just to give God the honor and glory. Uh, show us the next slide, if you will. Uh, actually, we had to order the numbers early, and a little bit of money came in after we ordered the numbers, and so the true total is $1,524,231. That's either in cash, securities, or promises, and the amazing thing, well, not the amazing thing, that's the amazing thing, but an additional amazing thing is already at the two-week mark. $763,661.39 has been given in cash. Isn't that amazing? That's three quarters of a million dollars in the bank today that we can begin working on some of these projects that are important uh, for the work that is here. Now, I've got a lot to say about this, but I want us to say something together. Uh, show us this uh, next slide, if you will, Psalm 111. I want us to read together the first few verses of Psalm 111. I want us to read it with energy. I want us to read it with excitement. I want us to say it not to each other, but I want us to let this be a word of praise to the Lord for his goodness. Can we do this? Can we read this together? Let's do it. You ready? Hallelujah. I will praise the Lord with all my heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The Lord's works are great, studied by all who delight in them. All that he does is splendid and majestic. His righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. And would you say amen? Amen. amen. Please be seated. They have done a great job revealing this to us. If you didn't enjoy the little tease halfway through, that was uh, somebody else's idea, I don't recall. You know, as the numbers came in over the last two weeks, and it seemed like every single day the number went up significantly, almost every day the number went up significantly as uh, additional cards or gifts came in. Uh, uh, was, I, I just was, was overwhelmed with, with an appreciation of, of you and your generosity, of the sacrificial giving, 
Uh, but I'm amazed at the provision of the Lord. And this certainly is, uh, is a testimony to God's love and loving kindness and God's uh, provision for us. But as these uh, numbers came in, there was uh, one passage of scripture that stood out to me. I think the Lord just brought this to my, to my mind as, as, as I was amazed every day at, uh, at the new numbers as, uh, as Marilyn, our financial secretary, would, would let me know what has happened on that day. I thought of Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, first dozen verses or so, there's uh, a record of a miracle that happened uh, in the life of Christ, the life of the disciples, something extraordinary. Uh, but, but there are many parallels, I think, between that extraordinary event, Luke chapter 5, the miracle of Luke chapter 5, and the providence of the Lord in March 18th. Uh, now, they're not exactly the same, and one's a miracle, one's the providence of God. We don't have time to talk about the technical difference, but there's, there are many parallels between the two. And so I, I think it would be proper for us just to read together uh, about this great miracle and, and let this be instructional to us as we think about the next steps uh, that God has for us to take. Luke chapter 5 verse 1 says, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret and he saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. And so these fishermen, professional fishermen, by the way, they knew what they were doing. They had finished fishing for the day. It was not fishing time any longer. So they were, they were cleaning, cleaning their nets uh, until Jesus shows up. Verse three says, he got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, you know him as Peter, Simon Peter, and he asked him to put out a little while from the land. And then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. So Jesus put a little space between he and the crowd so that people could better hear and see him. There was just such a press of people. And so he teaches them for a little while, uh, sitting in Simon Peter's fishing boat. Verse four, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Now, Simon Peter was a professional fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter, a preacher. Preachers don't know anything, right? And so uh, Jesus says, you need to put down your nets. And, and, and Peter said, well, we, we will do it if you insist. But we've been fishing all night. We know what we're doing. This is not the time to fish. The fish aren't biting anyway. But we'll do it if you want us to do it. We're tired. We're worn out. We've stayed up all night. We are in bad need of a, of a nap. But if that's what you want us to do, we'll do that. Verse 6 says, then when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. You will be fishers of men, your Bible may say. And then they brought the boats to the land. They left everything and they followed him. 
I think in this record of a miracle that happened in the life of Christ, I, I think we see three things that, that the disciples did before the miracle, and we see three things the disciples did following the miracle. And these six things are instructive to us. What do you do in order to see God work? What leads up to God doing something amazing? And then what should you do after God does something amazing? Well, briefly, let me tell you. First of all, before God's provision, they listened to the, to the Lord. If you look back at verse four, it's just a simple verse, but it says something profound. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon listened to him. In order for God to do something extraordinary, first we have to listen to God. We have to be close enough to God that we can hear him. We have to be in prayer. We have to be in Bible study. Every day, we need to be opening our Bibles. We have to hear from God. That's the first step in God doing something significant. Now, the second step is we have to move out of our comfort zone. If God's going to work, we've got to do something hard. So look at the next verse, verse five. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night and called nothing, but if you say so, I'll let down my nets. Simon had to do something that was hard. Simon had to step out on faith. He had to trust that God was going to provide somehow, that God was up to something. In order for for us as a church, in order for you as an individual or for your family to see God do some mighty work, you've got to get outside of your comfort zone. You've got to do something that's hard. You've got to give more than you've given. You need to go on a mission trip that scares the socks off of you. You need to teach a class. You need to volunteer in the youth ministry. You need to, you need to do something. You need to go across the street and, and share the gospel with a neighbor. You need to show love in an unusual way to people who otherwise wouldn't know the love of Christ. If, if we're going to see God work, we've got to get outside of our comfort zone. Uh, I think that's, that's exactly why God has done what he's done here. March 18th, that we've, that we've announced this $1.5 million uh, gift and promise over one year for a renovation project. Uh, I, I can't express to you how unheard of that is, but I, but I believe the provision of God is because so many people in our church stepped out of their comfort zone and they trusted God. And if we want to continue to see God work, we've got to continue to step outside our comfort zone. God's calling some of you to do something big. I got a text yesterday from M. Ott and you know, she's on an airplane. She's headed off to do something big and to do something hard. And that may not be exactly what God has called you to do. It may just be to your neighbor or to your family member, but God will bless us when we step outside our comfort zone. The third thing that they did before the miracle was they trusted and they obeyed. If you look at verse six, when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. Uh, you read it a moment ago. I think it's the next verse that says their boat began to sink. Uh, that was the kind of uh, feeling that I've had over the last two weeks. I wish I could have shared all of this all along, but uh, it just seemed like God was being so good to us. It was as if the boat was about to sink. Uh, well, what, what did they do in order to facilitate this? Well, they trusted God and they obeyed. It's just that simple. It's not any way to dress this, uh, this point up to make it sound, uh, you know, maybe more intellectual or, or more uh, interesting. It's just this simple. Listen, 
God is not going to do something amazing in your life, in our church, in your family, if we, if we don't trust and obey. I know when people were filling out there, we love our church commitment cards uh, a couple of weeks ago. There was a lot of trusting. Some of you have shared your story with me. There was a lot of trusting and there was a whole lot of obedience. And that's always the prerequisite to God working. You know, God could have done this differently. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If God wanted to get fish in the boat, God could have just caused the fish to jump into the boat, right? God could have just said, fish in the boat, and they'd have jumped in the boat. It would have been a lot easier, less messy. It would have been just as amazing, just as spectacular, right? What a miracle. More than that, God could have just created new fish. He could have just said, be fish. I mean, I don't know what the, what, what the words would have been, but he could have just created brand new fish and filled the boat. And, and that would have been amazing, right? The story still could have made the Bible. It would have been an extraordinary story. But that's not how God works. God works in the response, in response to his people trusting, obeying. And so instead of saying fish jump or fish be created, he says, Simon, put down your net. And so God could do a miracle in your life without you. And he may, God can do whatever he chooses to do. But I'll tell you the pattern of God in the scripture is that God's miracle is going to come after the response of your trust and your obedience. So that's what happens before the miracle. What happens after the provision of God? What, what are we to do now? What happens after God has, has provided Well, let me show you three quick things. Number one, uh, we have to work together. If you look at verse seven, it says, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And so when this great catch came, they they called the other boat. They, they, They summoned the other disciples and so that everybody worked together to get this, to get this done. Now church, God has given us a tremendous blessing. Uh, I, uh, when we started this process, didn't want to put a number on it. I've done a lot of financial campaigns. I've always started with a goal. You know, here's, here's the goal we're shooting for. And I didn't want to do it on this one because I just was nervous about it. Uh, I, I, I didn't know the church well enough. I, I didn't know what people were, would be willing to give. I didn't know how much people loved their church. And so I, I didn't put a goal on it in the beginning. I'll tell you what my thoughts were. Uh, in, in those days, I was thinking if we got three to $500,000, that would be great. Three to 500,000 to spend on renovations wouldn't do what we needed to do, but it would, it would do much and it would be good and, and that would be great. I met with our deacons and one of the questions they had as I presented to them the plan was, Pastor, what's the goal? And I said, well, it's not a goal. I'm I'm nervous about a goal. And they said, well, you need a goal. You need a goal. And so I began to talk to people and to pray and to see what other people thought. And then we came up with the goals that we did. Uh, The highest goal being a million dollars. And I really was nervous about that. Very nervous about that. But God stepped forth and not only gave us the three to 500,000. And I was thinking, uh, not only gave us the, the 500,000 goal that we set or the 700,000 or the million dollar goal, but 50% above that. I mean, it's an amazing thing, but, but the hardest part, here's why I say that the hardest part is not what's happened over the last five weeks. The hardest part 
is what's going to happen over the next five months. It's a whole lot harder to spend $1.5 million than it is to, uh, to receive $1.5 million. Uh, I can just tell you right now, there's not an elevator solution uh, to our elevator problems that's going to be pleasing to everybody. Uh, there is not a new pew that we can buy that everybody is going to like. There's not a kitchen that we can build that will suit everybody. There's not a carpet, a wall color, a bucket of paint that's going to make everybody happy. So what do, what do we have to do? What, what, now that God has provided 1.5 million, three quarters of a million in two weeks, now that God has provided, what do we have to do? Well, we have to do what the disciples did. We've got to work together. We've got to be, now listen to this. This isn't just preacher talk. This is serious. We have to be as intentional about working together to solve these problems and looking for agreement, not looking for disagreement, but looking for agreement. We have to be as, an in, as intentional about that as we were raising $1.5 million. I mean, we were intentional about that. I mean, we, we had a banquet and we sent out letters and we prayed and, you know, we crafted sermons and, 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 and you prayed and you, I mean, a lot of people did a lot of things and we were very intentional. We, we didn't get here by accident. We were intentional. We've got to be just as intentional. We've got to be just as sacrificial. I mean, the, 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 the amount of money that some of you gave was very sacrificial. We're going to have to be sacrificial as we go forward. And we choose whether the wall in the hallway is going to be pink or purple, okay? I'm not for either one of those colors. But if it's purple and I don't like purple or pink and I don't like pink, I'm going to have to have the same kind of sacrificial attitude I had when I decided what I was going to give. Does that make sense? And so after the miracle, what's the first thing you have to do? Same thing as the disciples. We must work together. The second thing is this. We must recognize this is about who God is, not who we are. Okay, this is an extraordinary blessing. Now, I have a lot of pastor friends and all different kinds of churches for a renovation project. We're not building a new building. Um, one and a half million dollars in one year uh, for our size church is an extraordinary blessing. It's an extraordinary blessing. But the blessing is not about who we are. The blessing is about who God is. God has done something significant here. We need to recognize that. We, need to, we don't need to get over this after, after a week or two. We, we, we need to be, be humbled by this. We need to be amazed. We need to be thankful. Now, look, look at your scripture uh, passage here. Verse 8 says, when Simon Peter saw this, when he saw the miracle, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. Peter recognized that he didn't catch the fish. God caught the fish. Uh, he goes on in verse nine to say, for he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. This is about the glory and provision of God. Let us not forget. And then number three, we have to recommit ourselves to the assigned task. Look back at verse 11. This is the part of the story that we, well, when we're reading it, we're sort of winding down. You know, as you get to this part of the story, you, you, you read it, but it's, the action has already happened. But I think verses 11 and 12, I think this is the most important part of the story because this is the point of the story. The point of the story, by the way, is not that they caught fish. 
Jesus didn't come to help people catch fish. Jesus didn't come to start a fishing company. Jesus didn't come to, you know, to, to start packaging fish sticks. That's not the, the, the whole point of the story is verses 11 and 12. Look at it. He, he says, I've lost it here now. Verse 11. Um, I'm sorry. Verse 10. I don't know what verses I'm reading. Um, so verse 10 says, and so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. For now on, you will be catching people. And then they brought the boats to the land, left everything and followed him. You see that the swap that Jesus made? And the whole first half of the story was about what? It's about catching fish. This is the miracle of the fish. But then Jesus said, guys, it's not about the fish. We're not starting a fish company. I did not come to bless Simon Peter's fish business. In fact, Simon Peter Fisheries just went out of business because at the end of verse 12, there is no company, right? Jesus said, it's not about fish, not about catching fish. It's about reaching people. Now, here's the danger that we face. Uh, $1.5 million, we ought to be able to make a significant difference in our campus. We ought to be able to fix some things for $1.5 million. Things ought to look different. They ought to look different in the, in the, with our lawns. They ought to look different in this room. They ought, to, they ought to look different in the kitchen. We ought to be able to solve some problems with this. But listen, church, it's not about new pews. We're not doing this so that we can have a fancy kitchen. It's, it's not about the building. It's about reaching people. And if we're not careful, I mean, God has given us a blessing, a tremendous blessing, but Satan's looking for a way to mess this up. And one way would be to get us to disagree about how we spend it. But the other way would be to help us just focus on what we're spending it on and forget what our purpose is. The purpose isn't the building. Just like the purpose was not the fish. It was all so that they could become fishers of men. And everything that God has blessed us with, it's so that we can reach people for Christ. It's not so we have a prettier building. We can clap for that. Amen. And so let's remember, uh, three months from now, six months from now, it's not so we can have a prettier building. Now, we, we ought to have a prettier building. We ought to have a prettier lawn, but it's not about our lawn. It's not even about a shiny kitchen. Let's remember that it's about reaching people for Jesus. Now, let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I, we're going to spend some time. Uh, we're not finished. We're going to spend some time just singing and praising the Lord. That's the most fitting thing we could do right now. But let me, let me pray. Father, I, I come on behalf of uh, First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches, and I say thank you. Uh, I, I'm, I think that you have done exceedingly above everything we could have asked or imagined. Uh, this was not in my wheelhouse. I mean, this was not a part of my projection. I, I didn't see this coming. I, I, I think you have shown yourself faithful to the obedience and the sacrifice of your people in the same way that you showed yourself faithful when Simon Peter, with his tired arms 
and his sore back, drop that net into water one more time. So Father, thank you. Let us not get over this. Not because it's money or a new building uh, refresh, but because it is a testimony to the greatness, the wonder, and the kindness of our Lord. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Just some closing remarks. Aren't we thankful for a choir that can sing and lead us like that? Uh, for Andre, and this is uh, Austin's very first day. So good to have you here on staff. You know, coincidentally, uh, and this was not the original plan, we were going to do this next Sunday. Uh, we changed the date for a few reasons, uh, primarily for some sermon reasons. I wanted us to really be able to focus on Christ for uh, our uh, Palm Sunday and Easter, and we didn't want this to uh, be intermingled with that too much. But So we ended up on this day, and this day is also uh, my one-year anniversary. So my first Sunday, no, that's not my, my first Sunday was uh, the Sunday following uh, spring break of, uh, of last year, so it's probably uh, within a week or two of that very first Sunday. And I, I say that to, to say this, it, it's interesting, uh, and I'm sure this has been your experience as well, it's interesting how the Lord just gives personal confirmation uh, at critical times uh, about what he is doing and how his hand is working. And I want to say thank you uh, to you as a church. Uh, my family feels welcome and loved here. Uh, probably shouldn't tell you this, but Don and I, we have weird conversations, my wife and I. And, uh, we talked uh, on vacation about uh, where would you go? This actually came out of a conversation I had with Caleb, our college pastor, the other day. Uh, I said, Donna, where would you live if I were to die? Uh, if I were to you know, have a heart attack or a car accident and I just were no longer. And so uh, you know, most of her friends, most of Donna's friends are in Ohio because we were there for 12 years. And and so Donna has deep roots in Ohio. She's from Mississippi, but uh, she's moved on since then. And our families are sort of scattered. Uh, so I, I was just curious, you know, if I, and I don't plan to, but if I were to die in the next two, two or three days, where would you live? And she had not thought about it, which was comforting to me. But, <laughs> but she said, you know, I think I'd just live right where I'm living. And, you know, that... When you come to church, the, my biggest fear is not me. The biggest fear is my family, my wife and my kids. But because of the love that you have shown, because of your kindness uh, to, uh, to our family, uh, we feel like this is home. And so I'm buttering you up because I want to ask you for something. <laughs> so three things very quickly that I want to ask. First of all, I want you to seriously pray that God will give the leadership of our church the renovation team specifically, great wisdom and direction in the next few days. I want you to trust them. They're going to have some hard decisions to make. Some of the problems that we need to fix, there's not, well, there's not an easy decision. It's, uh, some of it just comes down to preference. And when you're making preference decisions, it's hard. And everybody's not going to have the same preference. We, we need wisdom. And as much as we prayed for money, and thank you that you did, we need to pray just as earnestly for wisdom and direction. And I ask you uh, to do that. The hardest part is still in front of us. Uh, pray, pray for wisdom. Uh, we will spend, by the way, uh, 
we will spend every penny of this one and a half million dollars as carefully as we would have had it been 10% of this. I mean, so this is not just some big slush fund. It's, uh, I mean, we're going to be careful with every penny, just as if the offering would have been 150 and we would have had to make it stretch. We're going to have the same attitude when we spend this larger amount, but we're going to need the direction of the Lord. The second thing I ask you is to pray for revival. Uh, There um, were a handful of things and still are that I felt like we needed to have in place before we could move forward. I mean, the church has had an incredible success over the last decades, but sort of move forward in a little bit different direction under my leadership. I felt like there was just some things that we needed to have in place. One of those was just progress in our staffing and God has answered prayers there. Another step was our facilities. And so now God has answered that prayer. Uh, The next thing we need to begin to talk about is organization and vision. We need to talk about what it is we're trying to do around here, what direction we're going to go. We need to have a framework for making decisions. We need, to, we need to know and get excited about a common purpose. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to focus on Easter. Uh, I'm going to preach a two-message series to answer the question, what did Jesus really accomplish on the cross? So that's the next two weeks. We don't want to take away from that. But after Easter, we're going to spend four weeks just talking as a church about what is our purpose and what is our vision? Why are we here? Why do we do? What, what's, what should unify us? How, how should we make decisions about things that are in the future? And I think it's going to be an important time in the life of our church for, for, for many, many years to come. And so I'm asking you just to pray for revival. I mean, God's given us some, some momentum, and I think he's given it to us for a purpose. God knows what our needs are, financial and otherwise. I, I, I'm asking you to pray for revival, that God... We'll turn this, uh, as he did in Luke 11, from a being about fish to being about people. I want God to turn this from being about dollars to being about disciples. Could we pray that God would send us a revival? And then the third thing, very quickly, it's been my experience when, be- when God begins to work in some area, and obviously God is working, then he begins to work. There's just something contagious about that. He begins to work in the lives of everybody who's connected to that. Some of you, we've not talked about it. It's not been the focus of our service this morning, but some of you are here this morning so that you could be a part of this, so that you would hear the Holy Spirit say to you that things aren't right between you and God that maybe you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you've never gone to God and surrendered in that once for all kind of surrender and trust what Jesus has done for you on the cross for salvation. And so we've gathered here to talk about money and projects and elevators and all those things, but maybe all of this, maybe God orchestrated all of this so that you would get caught up and you would hear the Holy Spirit in your heart say, now's the time for you to make that important spiritual decision. So we're going to stand and sing. I want us to have, um, Andre's got just one very special experience for us to have as we close close our service. Uh, But I'm going to be here at the front after the service. I'm going to ask David, uh, great great counselor, help you make these decisions. Uh, I'm going to ask um, the other ministers that are down here close just to hang out up front after the service is over. And so we're going to sing one last song. But if you need to make a decision... If you just need to talk to somebody about possibly making a decision, find one of us up here in the front and we'll be here for the next five or 10 minutes as you're filing out to Sunday school. 
uh, and, and let us help you make, make a decision that honestly be a whole lot more important than one and a half million dollars um, if it's a decision for Christ. Let me pray. Father, may you be honored in all of this. May we be brought closer to you, filled with wisdom. May, a, may, may this be the beginning of a revival that honors your name and sweeps people into the kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together.